You are listening to Faith and Flesh, the official podcast of Humana Corpus Dignitate. Hello, everyone. My name is Carlos. My name is Angel. And this is the very first podcast for HCD Ministries. Angel, do you want to tell the listeners what HCD stands for? So... HCD stands for Humana Corpus Dignitate, which um, is basically the Latin for dignity of the human body. And what we have here is a ministry where we're combining theology with science, specifically medical knowledge, where we're going to focus a lot on faith issues as well as the dignity of the human person. So if you go to our website, which is hcdtalks.com, there's a lot of different things for you to see, but you'll notice right away that there's a number of topics that we already can offer, any of which we've already done at different schools and parishes. And we're um, doing this podcast. We also have already published some blogs. And of course, we have some other plans for the future. You know, we have some big plans actually for 2020. So um, we're just kind of using our gifts. And we began to work together recently. And now we're out here to share our story today with how we came together and a little bit about our personal background. Yeah, well, actually, so you say we started working together recently. The ministry launched recently, but the way this all got started um, was actually years in the making of just almost random collaborative efforts. Um, we would call each other on different situations, such as I... Um, I I teach catechism, and I actually also went through a Christian uh, school for grad school. So whenever it came to faith-based things, um, what we didn't say was that Carlos is a theology teacher, and I've been a nurse for 10 years. And so we decided to combine our efforts, and I would call him out on, not call him out, but call him on faith-based questions that I would have, how I can teach something, um, any suggestions that he might have. And anytime he wanted to bring in the physiological and the medical into his theological teaching, he would call me and ask me medical questions. And so it was just this back and forth over several years. And I think in the last year, we started to really find things that we had common ground on. And, um, things that we really wanted to relate to the public um, and use both the science and medicine with the theology to do so. And so we started really talking, and that's how we ended up coming up with HCD. And it's been interesting because um, the ministry itself is, um, there's plenty of times we prefer to work together, but we actually don't live in the same state. We're actually doing this podcast in a remote way. and so. For example, I have traveled to California to uh, do a couple of confirmation talks with Angel, and we also did a talk at a local Catholic school for middle school students. And then um, she recently was here in Tucson giving a presentation at my school on mental health. And so we work together when we can, but we're also both available to do talks in our home states. And we already have done them without the other person there. So it really is just a matter of what topic you're interested in and what type of presentation you want. 
And so, just because we're doing talks separately does not mean that we're not working together behind the scenes. Um, we would definitely, we send each other the presentations and we get each other's input on them. So we, it is still a collaborative effort, even though we're not both working together at the same time doing the presentation. Mm -hmm. And it's funny too, because I mentioned earlier about the blogs that we've already both published. Um, we both prefer to have the other person read them before we actually post them. So we can get a little bit of feedback and, and then just to kind of, again, we try to involve each other with just about everything that we're doing for HCD. So it definitely is a group effort. Yeah, so um, one thing that we wanted to talk about today was our faith journeys and how we got to where we are now. So Carlos, if you'd like to start. Okay, well, I was born and raised in Carson, California, and people are surprised to know that there actually was a hospital there for babies to be born in uh, quite a number of years ago. I'll just leave it at that. Um, in, by definition, I would be considered a cradle Catholic because my parents were both raised Catholic, and they, you know, of course, met. They actually met at church. They met at Holy Family Catholic Parish in Wilmington, California, and then later were married there, and then just you know, both my families, the sides of the family, the roots are there. So, you know, when they had children, I have an older sister. Um, you know, we were raised Catholic. You know, we went to mass every Sunday. Um, we would talk about faith stuff at home. Um, there were times where we would maybe in the car with relatives pray the rosary, you know, at home. Or again, just as a family. And it was just, it was a part of my upbringing. And what was interesting to me, too, was that growing up in Carson, for those who are not familiar with Carson, it's a very multicultural city. So besides being raised Catholic, I was also around other kids who were, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormon, Protestant, Buddhist, etc. And so, you know, there were times with the kids would sit down and talk about religion. And, um, you know, so I'd go home and talk with my parents about that. Then, of course, as I was getting older, um, and I was a teenager, and I had questions about life, about existence, about what is right and wrong. I was lucky enough to have parents that would sit and talk to me about it. You know, my father was a master catechist, so like he he knew things really in great detail. I mean, he he knew doctrine very well. In fact, he used to read canon law stuff after he retired just for fun, and he loved um, what they call systematic theology, which is pretty heavy thinking. Where my mom was really the heart of the faith, where she kind of was the one that would remind you of, of God's love and how no matter what you did, as long as you were sincere and asked God to forgive you, he would. So it was kind of a really cool sort of paternal, maternal way of, of learning my faith. And to me, that was just normal. Now, what's interesting, though, is that I went to public school most of my life. It wasn't until high school, really, that I went to Catholic school. And it was cool. I mean, the only thing about it was... I didn't like the idea of changing schools because I was going to school with so many of my classmates, some of which since preschool. So the idea of starting over really was just not something I wanted to do. But I would be lying if I didn't say that sometimes sitting in those theology classes did have a little bit of a profound impact on me in terms of my life's direction and in terms of what I would end up doing later as a career. So um, as far as the beginnings of my journey, it's fairly similar, cradle Catholic as well, born into the faith. But 
Um, I think something that you and I both had in common was that it was we're both we were both brought up in the faith. I actually was in Catholic school from first all the way to twelfth grade, um, and then never left. Not except for when I went through four years of community college. Really, every the other two my undergraduate um, studies were completed through. Grand Canyon University, which is a Christian university. And then I went through grad school at Azusa Pacific, which is another Christian university. So even though they weren't Catholic, they were still, there was still a lot of faith-based, um, you know, projects and assignments that went along with it. So I did have to look into my faith anyway. But um, as far as the knowledge of doctrine and things like that, ni neither of my parents really knew all the doctrine, but a lot of it was, you know, we would gather around and we would pray the rosary, especially during anniversaries of deaths and birthdays and things like that. So we would pray together. We went to church almost every Sunday. Um, I say almost because sometimes if we were out of town, we didn't really go, but we did as a family, we went and we, we would, whenever my mom was off in the evenings, because she did work evenings, we would uh, sit down and pray and eat dinner together as a family. So um, I wasn't really, I think now as far as doctrine goes, my mom actually asks me, um, but there was, there was still a lot of, uh, as far as the faith, it was really ingrained in us growing up. And the thing with going to private school and going through Catholic school is when I was going through it myself, I didn't really appreciate what I what was being instilled in me until my own kids started going to Catholic school. And, you know, now my son is really learning the prayers, learning more about his faith. He he has religion homework and, you know, I would help him with his homework. And so we've mentioned that you're a theology teacher. How yes. did you get into that? <laughs> it's really kind of funny because. Um... I remember when I was in high school, I was, you know, like any kid, I, ha I was tired of it. And I, I remember having a really bad case of senioritis when I was in high school my last year. So I didn't really focus a lot in school. I, was, I, I had musical ambitions because I've actually been um, drumming since I was a little kid. Um, and, you know, I, I wanted to be, for lack of a better word, a rock star. And it wasn't because of the money and the fame. I wanted to do it for a living and I wanted to be part of something special in the sense that I didn't want people to just know who I was. I wanted them to associate me with a group because I grew up loving, you know, musical acts that were like that. They had the big name that everyone knew. And I loved playing music and, and I always wanted to do that. So even when I was in high school, I didn't want to just jam with my friends. I actually wanted to start writing songs and start, you know, working on this dream. So I remember being 16 years old and, you know, I didn't want to just meet other musicians. I would talk to guys like, do you write songs or do you want to write songs? So I didn't want to waste time. I wanted to get going. I mean, to me, high school's in the way. So, of course, when you're a teenager, you think you know everything and you don't. So I sat down with my father and he kind of, you know, long story short, he noticed after high school because I thought I was going to just get a job because I had a, had a high school diploma, which, of course, you find out right away. It's, you know, the world's not what it was in, say, the 50s. So I couldn't really get a good job and I was trying. And so my dad basically told me to my face, either get a job or get out of my house. And the only other option you have is to go to college. So, okay, fine, fair enough. So I didn't, you know, really work on my grades in high school. So I just went to 
El Camino Community College in Torrance, California. And the funny thing about that was to this day, I don't know why I picked that school because Harbor College in Wilmington was closer to my house, but it is what it is. But I just decided to study music because of the fact that I, um, you know, I just, I wanted to be a professional musician. So I figured the more I learned, the better it was, which was actually an amazing journey because, you know, when I started college, I had studied drums and I knew drumming really well. I knew rhythmic notation really well, but I knew nothing about harmony and scales and all that. So that part of my collegiate education was amazing because I walked in there, a drummer came out a musician. But the funny thing about it was I kept meeting people that from different backgrounds. And I, besides meeting a lot of really quote unquote strange musicians, I kept meeting a lot of uh, born again Christians. And it was funny because we would have these great discussions about religion and theology, but, you know, like a typical Catholic, you know, I practiced my faith, but I didn't really know it too well. So when I was challenged on certain things, something felt right to me, but I didn't know how to explain it. So one day I, I talked to my dad about it and we went out to a couple of stores and we, we bought, he bought me some, um, you know, just some books that kind of explain the faith. And some of them I still have to this day. And I started to read and I started to learn. And as I read more, I started to even read the Bible because I wanted to like find not just the quote, but I wanted to read the whole book where certain quotes came from in terms of the origin of Catholic teaching. So to make a long story short, I, I then transferred to Cal State Long Beach. And all this time I'm, I'm playing in clubs. I mean, first time I played in the club, I was 18 years old. And, you know, I was working on my dream. And at the time I was now, you know, studying music at Long Beach State. Um, it wasn't my first choice, but the schools that I also had gotten into, um, they were not in town. And I certainly could have gone to them, but something kind of told me not to go. And, and I, I don't know why, but it just felt right to me. And it, it makes more sense later. Um, so I go to Long Beach to study. And the weird thing was that it, my heart just wasn't into it anymore. You know, we were doing a lot of classical music and, and that's fine. I mean, it's beautiful music, but it wasn't what I wanted to play. And I kept, you know, having disagreements with my teacher about it because he's like, well, Carlos, if you learn this, this, and this, you know, you can play for the symphony, whatever. I go, you don't understand. I don't want to do that. I want to do this music or this music or that music. So by the time I'm a senior in college, I've already been through a couple bands. You know, they're, you know, music's a tough gig. My wife and I were already engaged because we were going to college together. And I remember I was taking this religious studies class as a upper division GE class. And I just got completely into it to the point where I would be sitting in, it was a class called symphonic band. And there was, I think there was about six, seven or eight drummers in the class, but sometimes they didn't have enough parts for all of us. So I was constantly deferring to the other guys saying, here, take that part. I don't care. And I'd be sitting under the stage reading these books from this class or studying my notes. And I got really into it. And so there was that. And I think my upbringing was, was also part of it too, because here I was now playing clubs all over Southern California, going down to San Diego, Santa Barbara at times. Um, went up to like Northern California, did a short tour up there in the summer. And it was like, you know, you'd be around a lot of weird things sometimes and, you know, the drugs and, you know, some of the behavior that what people were doing. And I never got into that, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say that I was, you know, perfect and never did anything wrong, but it's just that I, I never got caught up in the quote unquote rock and roll lifestyle. And um, I know a lot of that was my faith and it was kind of 
calling at my heart. And so at one point, I remember going to talk to the department head of religious studies at Cal State Long Beach. Now, mind you, this is a secular school. So, you know, you're not like praying. We're not learning theology. It's religious studies, which long story short, I tend to tell people it's like religion from an anthropological point of view. But I loved it because we did study a lot of history and culture and really break things down in that way. So that there was still a lot to learn. But um, by that point, I ended up changing my major. And after talking to a professor about, you know, the possibilities, he said, well, you could be a teacher. And it was funny because I had no interest whatsoever in being a music teacher. Like, I did not want to be a band director. Like, no, I wanted nothing to do with that. But when he said, you know, religion teacher, I thought, hey, this is actually kind of cool. So when I said earlier about high school and how that was kind of intriguing, there were a few times when I was in high school, I would watch my religion teachers. And I was thinking, you know, that's actually kind of cool. You know, maybe I'd want to do that one day. That's my story. Angel, how did you get to where we are now? Um, well, it's funny because, you know, I'd mentioned I'd gone to Catholic school and didn't really appreciate it. I actually wasn't um, probably my first. I want to learn about my faith was probably around the time of confirmation, which is a great thing because, I, you know, that's obviously what they want to really stimulate in you. But the first time I taught confirmation, I think, was actually my senior year in high school after I'd finished my um, confirmation program. That's kind of when I probably started to get more curious. But before that, I did not appreciate it at all. Um, I hardly paid attention in class. Um, But I think that was just my high school journey in general. It wasn't specific to religion. Um, But then later on, I think the the one kicker was, besides when you were asking me questions, um, there was a project that they, my pathophysiology professor had us do, and we had to look at the miracles of Jesus, but diagnose what was going on with the person he cured. And that got me really like, wait a minute, you know, it was one of the first, I never thought of it that way. And I never looked at it from that perspective. It just kind of, you know, people say medicine and religion should never mix. It was some some people say that it that's not true, obviously, but um, it was I never thought to combine both. Um, but then you kind of started going on that, and then I started, and then with that project, I really was like, "Hey, wait a minute." Um, and now, you know, back then there was a little bit of the holistic care, but holistic care has really been a more common um study now and really emphasizing the spirituality of the person um and incorporating that into their into their healing process and so with all of that combined that really just got me going and i'm still on that journey of learning more and more about my faith but i uh it you know like you said earlier you used to practice but not really know now I'm really curious and knowing and trying to understand and so it it's it was a combination of a lot of things um I never actually aside from what I learned in high school and you know the few religion classes and faith-based projects I'd never really taken um anything to study it but now I am studying it on my own and I'm looking to actually study it more in an academic setting 
um, and looking at different programs because it is something that I think is important to me. And so, but as far as nursing went, there was a lot of um, moments where, you know, I wouldn't, I, I, there were times that, you know, you would be with a patient and they would just, the family would be praying and they'd ask you to stay and pray with them. And there were a couple of times I did do that. Um, there were also a couple of times that I, um, I never said this and I don't think I've ever told you this, but you know, once somebody's passed, we have to clean them. And there were moments that I would do it and I would pray while I was doing it. Um, and it wasn't consistent. It was, I don't know why, but there were moments that I was more compelled to do it than others. Um, but I would do that. And so I guess in subconsciously, I was already mixing both um, on my own. And then, you know, I would stop. And if my patient did have some kind of spiritual thing, I would I would stop and I'd have that conversation with them. Oh, yeah. And, and it's funny because when I'm listening to you right now, I'm thinking about, you know, I'm hearing you saying there's a bunch of ways to keep learning and keep learning. And it's funny because I remember, you know, part of my journey was, you know, I did end up doing my bachelor's and master's degree at Cal State Long Beach. So academically speaking, I was doing okay as far as my credentials to, in my educational career. But then, you know, there's a saying that if you read a book on a topic, you feel like an expert. But if you read two, you realize you don't know anything. So here I was, I was teaching at that point for about oh, 14 years, maybe. And I got introduced to Theology of the Body to the point where I was then um, invited to go to the Institute outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I tell you, that was probably the most eye-opening experience of my life in terms of my faith journey. Because it wasn't so much just the content of what we learn in um, Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body text or in anything he spoke in terms of that publicly. It's also the way it taught me to look at Catholic theology. And all of a sudden, I was totally spun around on my head. Like, I had all this interest in doing, like, global Christianity and studying all of these faith expressions and theologies from all over the world. And all of a sudden, that's just sitting in my bookshelf to this day. And here I am with this, teaching this stuff at school. I've been giving talks on this for years at, you know, all over Tucson Diocese. And that's kind of what brought you and I together, because um, when you were first calling me about um, your assignments and having me check what you were saying, I remember a couple of times telling you this, this is similar to stuff I'm studying right now. And then when you inquired about it, that's when I told you about theology of the body. And so that was when I started to really reach out to you because I was telling you, well, I'm teaching this and that and that and this. And so it's kind of weird how we both sort of were going through the same thing at the same time. And um, so I would, especially when I was telling you about how there's different realities in the world that we live in that kind of point us to God. And I was telling you how, you know, in my case, being a musician, a lot of times, whether it's a song or a film that is really showing that ache for authentic love, you were talking about how you would, you know, knowing so much about the body because of what you studied and also seeing how it works in your profession, that that showed you this grand design. And here we were talking about how, you know, how all this is here for us to see God and it's all part of creation. So we were just thinking, wow, this is amazing how 
you know, the two different paths are taking us to the same source. Yeah, you're right. And there's, um, you know, and we would have amazing conversations. And so um, very recently, we've been able to really see what both of those gifts brought together when we did do our uh, presentations a couple of weeks ago. So we did the introduction to theology of the body with middle schoolers and high schoolers. It took a couple of tries, I think, um, to really see what kind of an impact it can have because middle school, you you try to talk to your audience, but, you know, middle school is middle school. And, but they were, the kids were really receptive to it anyway, um, because, you know, you presented and we presented in a way that really can speak down to their language, I think, um, and that they can relate to. And so that's our biggest goal is not to just spew out all of the theology and this is why this is, but really make it, you know, relevant to someone's life. Say it in a language that they can understand because you can be as academic and scholarly as you want, but if you're using big words and no one can understand you, they're just going to tune you out anyway. It was really nice to see that they were able to respond to it and they understood. And it was really um, impactful, I guess you could say. It's funny you should say that because um, obviously when I was like in graduate school or now at my age and meeting other people in my profession, I mean, I mean, I am an educated person. I mean, I don't like to walk around, you know, thinking that I'm smarter than anybody because I'm not. But I mean, I do understand that world, I, you know, and I, and I do know how to maneuver in that world. But one of the things I love about my job is that um, I work with teenagers and they actually, um, they're very hungry. They're very curious. They have a lot of questions. And, you know, people don't realize that these kids, you know, they'll be sitting outside of their mother's house, driving in their cars. You know, and, and you're surprised how many, how many of them are really thinking about, you know, what is my life's purpose? You know, is there a God? You know, what is, what is the meaning of life? You know, what is my future going to be like? You know, what is my calling? And they really want answers. And then there's that. And then for, you know, six years, I worked at a, an adult college teaching ethics. And, you know, and a lot of my students were older than me, you know, parents who were going back to school. And, you know, they, they had to put a lot of things in their life off because of their other obligations. But again, they had those questions. And even in that setting, we had these great conversations. And I realized that I would have probably been more comfortable being like Jesus when he went out to the people rather than having these debates with the Pharisees and the other, you know, elites of, of his time. Granted, those conversations also have to take place. And I'm not saying that we can't you know, do a presentation for an academic crowd. I mean, we both know our content, you know, and, and we're both comfortable in that setting. But I found great enjoyment just talking to people about the faith and not so much trying to, you know, take them to a higher level of thinking in terms of the vocabulary or whatever, but just having a conversation. Because a lot of these questions that I just mentioned earlier that, that teenagers ask, all people ask those questions. I mean, you have these stories of adults having a midlife crisis and you know, what am I going to do with my life? And I tell you, some of the most amazing teachers I've ever met in my life were colleagues of mine that they might have started teaching in their 50s because they got tired of, you know, I, I've had colleagues who were in the world of business or they were in, you know, insurance or, you know, they, they were some pretty successful careers. You know, a lot of them talking about, you know, even being very wealthy at some point in their life. And they just felt like there wasn't anything 
substantial in their life until they found their faith. And then once they found their faith, they just had this love for God, but then also wanted to share that love with the rest of the world. So when they went to class, they weren't preachy. They weren't like trying to sound intelligent. They had this desire to share what God had done for them with their students. And then their students could also see how much the teachers cared about them. So they tend to respond to them in a, in a real positive way. Well, it's interesting that you talk about that curiosity and that hunger. Um, the week Because the week after you and I did the three talks on TOB, I had actually gone to um, my old high school and I spoke about abortion. And that was a tough subject because it's always just been a tough subject for me in general. I get very emotional about it. Um, but I knew that at some point I had to put away the emotions and whatever um, you know, whatever troubles I had with it and kind of do what I do in the middle of say somebody coding is to put away the emotions and just kind of become that professional. And so when I, what my approach was very medical, you know, it wasn't, it was more of, this is what it is. This is how you define abortion. This is how you define life according to science everything was scientifically based i'm not you know i don't just pull scripture i pull i was pulling my physiology books and my and my anatomy books and my physiology books and really giving that um medically based information and there were so and i you talk about not being preachy that was one thing i really wanted to try to avoid was because they're in this they're in an age right now where they're getting so much information. And if you deliver it in a way that's, you know, too demanding and too preachy, they're going to tune you out. They don't want to hear it. And they're, they're also, they have so many questions and they can get their answers elsewhere. And so a lot of them actually thanked me because it was more information based. And I just would, you know, as I did specify that I am pro-life, but I also understand that there, I'm not in the situation of other people and that, you know, people will make decisions based out of fear. And so, you know, it's just you can't take away no matter what people's choices are. There are people that make decisions that they regret and you cannot disregard them just because they've made a mistake. You know, we we saw Jesus you know, dine with sinners, why are we, who are we above Jesus? And so it was just one of those things where I really just wanted to make sure that they knew that, you know, whatever decisions they make, they are loved as long as they have their heart. It, they find it within themselves to find that and to find that, um, that relationship with God. And so I just, I didn't want to present it in a way that, you know, you're a sinner and that's it. No, that's not how that works. And that's not why Jesus came and died for us. So it's just, um, you know, if I can jump in on that, um, I've been teaching now for almost 25 years. So my approach is always the same in the sense where, you know, as soon as I know someone's a veteran teacher, I'm like, look, you have experience, you know what you're doing. You know, I will honor that. That's fine. But um, the one thing I do tell theology teachers, because I get to meet a lot of theology teachers and a lot of them are younger, is that if the students first don't know that you care about them, they're, they're going to tune you out. 
And the way that you show that first is you have to let them know that you'll answer any questions that they have. And at first, they're, they're not going to trust you, especially if you know, you're talking about like a fresh group of students. Some, like at my school, we're, we're almost at 300 kids. So even if you've never had a teacher before, you, know, you see them around, so you kind of know. But you have to prove that. There'll be a kid that's going to be the sacrificial lamb, and they're going to ask the question. And then you have to respond to it accordingly. You have to answer them you know, in a way that shows that you care. And then you have to, you know, be, in, in other words, you're going to honor their dignity as a person. On top of that, you mentioned earlier all the information around them. You cannot teach theology anymore just quoting the catechism or the Bible. If that's going to be your only approach, nobody cares. Now, I might be wrong when I say this, but I think it was St. Augustine who said, if it's in the Bible, study it. So, for example, Jesus is born. Okay, you have a location he was born. You have a star that directed the, the certain people to where he was. Right there you have geography, you have astronomy. Okay, you have the angels singing when he's born. That's music. I mean, I think you get my point. There's all the disciplines are in there. Noah's Ark, mathematics. I mean, it's all there. And the reason why I say this is if you do not bring in the other disciplines to show the relevancy of your faith, they're not going to listen to you. You know, like for example, when I started really bringing the physiology into my teaching, especially with theology of the body, or in, in some cases, sexual morality. Even if the kids, you could see them getting anxious and fidgety and, you know, like they're irritated by what I said. When I'm sitting here saying, this is what your body does, whether you like it or not, this is what your body's going to do, whether you like it or not. And I'd say, please look it up for yourself. A lot of times the answer I would get would be, I don't want to believe that. And, and the way they would say it is, you can tell that the wheels are spinning in their head. They know there's something there. Okay, by just saying, that, and I'm not saying certain things aren't sinful. You know, you and I are not ever going to say that, you know, the church teaching on, on morality is wrong. It's there for a reason, but we have to unpack it now in a different way. We have to show why it's wrong, not just um, because you're going to go to hell, quote unquote, but because... This is, it could cause great harm to your life, you know, and, and Jesus wants you to have a good life. I mean, we're not here to just occupy our bodies until we die. And then all of a sudden now this is living, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is upon you. Okay. Well, that means we can live good lives now, even in a broken world and, and experience God's grace in us to the point where we are in God's presence every day at every moment. And things can be good. Life is supposed to be good. And, you know, sometimes I think we get caught up in this whole notion of, well, you know, we just got to endure this hell on earth and then hopefully we'll go to heaven. No, there are struggles on earth, no doubt. But within that, we can see God's presence. So how is that not something that's going to lead us to joy? Well, so I think the things that all of our talks, actually, this whole month um, really emphasized was our choices. Mm -hmm. um, no matter which topic it was, it was our choices and that, you know, we had to live with the choices that we make. Um, but I just wanted to touch back on what you said about, um, you know, your whoever you're talking to, they want to know that you care about them. The other thing that they want is somebody that they feel like they can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, 
a comment that I did get because it was an abortion talk was I'm not super old, but I'm not, and I'm not super young, but I look, I guess, young enough um, that the girls actually felt better because I was a young woman speaking on this topic. And so they did say it did feel more personal. And that meant something to them that they can relate to to the person that they're speaking to. So what I'm trying to say is it wasn't necessarily just how I look, but somebody, they want to relate to the person. They want to be able to be, it, they want it more personal and they, you have to let them sense that. One thing I did do before the talk was let them know that, yes, I understand this is that it was a difficult topic and it's okay if you need to step out um, and take, get, some, get a breath of fresh air because it's not an easy thing to talk about. Um, but, you know, just, and I think that kind of let them know that, yes, I, I, I understand where they're at and I understand that, you know, they can't, there are certain things they can't handle and it's, I let them know it's okay. Um, so letting your audience know that you care about them and their well being, I think is very important and, um, you know, you, they, they really take to that. I think you have to also set the tone because one of the things that I do in my class at the beginning is I remind them that, you know, some of the things we cover are going to be heavy. And sometimes something will come out on a day you don't expect it to. Like you, ha you have a kid that they feel the need to share something very personal. So I always tell them, please keep what is said in this class private because if you betray someone's trust, then they're never going to open up again. Two, especially in the context of morality or something like that, I tell my student, if I say something that either confuses you or possibly makes you angry, you know, I don't want to have a big fight in class, but please talk to me outside of class. If it's something that, I, that you don't understand, I'll do my best to clarify it. But if I did say something that they did offend you or hurt you, I'll own it. I don't have a problem with that. And that has happened. That's happened to me several times over the last several years. And I'm okay with that. I don't have any problem with a kid telling me how they feel one way or the other. Another thing I'd like to say, because I like what you were saying earlier, and you, you did tell me about the whole comment of the girls hearing this talk from you, you know, a younger woman, you know, talking about abortion that they can relate to, is one of the gifts, I think, of our ministry, besides the fact that we both have two different backgrounds, is the fact that I'm male and you're female. We're both married. We both have children. We both have different walks of life. And there are certain things that, um, in some cases, it, it has its impact based on who it comes from. Like you talking about abortion and, you know, you being a woman. Because I, I actually tell my students, I go, there are certain things I cannot really relate to because I have children. I love my children more than anything, but I never carried them. I never gave birth to them. That part of the mother's bond, I can never know. Even watching them when they were real small and seeing my wife's maternal instincts kicking in, not saying I didn't have my own parental instincts, but compared to the instincts of a mother. I mean, come on, let's be honest here. That's not even close. So, you know, I learned to respect that. So, you know, a lot of times, even when they got older, you know, we had to start thinking about how we wanted to deal with certain things. There were times I would still defer to her and say, well, what do you feel about this? You're their mom. But on that note, one of the reasons why I got into theology of the body was because the colleague at my previous school that invited me to 
go to the Institute, I, when I did ask her, you know, why did you pick me? She goes, well, I could see that there's more that you want to do. She goes, but right now they're only hearing it from me, a woman. I think they need to hear it from a man. And what was interesting about that is like when I would teach about Ephesians 5.25 and, you know, what a, how a man's supposed to be willing to lay his life down for a woman, you know, a lot of times people think that means just, you know, will you die for your wife? Of course you would. But even if it was like you would rather die than hurt someone, you know, that's being a man. And so when I would sit there and look at girls in my class and say, do you not understand that you being a woman from the moment your gender was known in your mother's womb, you were worth this. You know, a lot of the girls, sometimes they'd even get emotional and they'd say, well, the thing is, it's not like we don't believe it when we hear it from your female teacher or your mom, but you're in your mind, you're saying, well, of course my mom's going to tell me that. My mom's going to tell me I'm beautiful and I'm talented, whatever. That's my mom. But when they hear it from a guy, a lot of the girls say it's more impactful for them. So again, we're trying to offer whatever, you know, diversity, gifts, whatever it is that we have. And, you know, and if it means to the point where we can even bring in other people, we're not against that. We're just trying to share this message with the world however we can and um, and just kind of um, hopefully make an impact. So on that note, why don't we talk more about some other things that we're doing besides obviously this podcast. For example, you and I have been, we both love to write. You know, in fact, I've actually written a few books and, um, you know, the ones that have a theological slant are on our website. But um, we both love to write in general. And um, like you write a lot of poetry, but we both write blogs. So I've had blogs that I've put out, you know, independently, and I've since sort of moved them over to the HCD blog uh, area, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, we've on some theological matters, and you yourself have also been writing blogs. You know, whether we both write a reflection on a gospel passage to getting into some doctrinal things, you just finished a beautiful blog on, you know, the, like, what was the title again? It's something like the, the beauty of death. Or the something. miracle of the death. The miracle of death, sorry. And it was wonderful. I mean, obviously, you know, death is a part of life. And, you know, I know from, you know, you can, I'm sure, speak better on, on this than I can. But, you know, like, for example, when someone has a loved one that is going to die, and, you know, the healthcare professional does tell the family, here's where you are, and it's good to make preparations. I mean, there was comfort in knowing in the cases in, in my life, whether it was my father or my grandparents, you know, there was, there was comfort in knowing what we had to prepare for. So when that moment came, we were able to endure it. And we also, of course, had to remember that it is not over. We believe in the resurrection and the fact that this person will be in God's presence. So there was a lot of hope and joy in that regard, even though we were mourning and still to a degree mourn their loss. Yeah. And then, well, go ahead. So with that blog, it was, um, it was actually written, I'd written a version of it a long time ago on my own. Like you said, you'd put out blogs independently. And there was a couple of them that I did for my own personal blog. Um, and it was, a lot of that one was based out of a, a little bit, um, I would question things like, you know, if we are Christian and we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, we believe that in the salvation that his death brought us and that we're all going to heaven and, um, you know, we have eternal life, then why is it so hard for people to let go? 
And I mean, I understand if it was somebody who just suddenly passed away and it's just a shock and that's their reaction. But sometimes it was a chronic thing. And I would, I used to work in the ICU and I would have patients who were in there for months even. Um, and when it got to the point where their bodies really just could not handle anything anymore, the they would still push for, you know, for full what we basically called full cold, which is you would do everything to save that person's life. And it would get to the point that I'm like, this person is just suffering more, keeping them alive. And you knew their quality of life, if they ever even got out of it, would not be what it was. And you don't even know if it'll ever go back to what it, you know, to somebody who would be able to live a, a, a full, meaningful life anymore. And so it, it got there. And what was interesting was the ones who really hoped for that miracle that their family would walk out were the Christians. Mm -hmm. And I was, that really stuck with me and I would question and question it. And so um, that's what, where that blog came from. And, you know, I understand it, it was, it was always hard when I'd have a patient who would pass away and it got worse as you got to know them. Some of them, came from the ER and they would code and that was it. And you didn't have time to really um, connect with anybody because it was just all about trying to save their life and you still couldn't. But there were times that, you know, the patients would be there for like weeks or months or whatever it was. And you got to know the families, you got to know the patient, you got to hear about their life. That was the, it, and the more you got to know them, the harder it was. And there were times that I would cry over my patients, no matter, no matter what we did, you, you still would question, did I do everything I could, no matter what, and even though you knew you did, it just, you couldn't do anything about it. But I also, that's when I understood that some, there were times that it would be better to let go. Well, I mean, again, the, you know, it's the reality of life and, you know, it's, uh, you always hope for the recovery and, and um, you just, as you know, you mean you can't replace people who who die. I mean, they're unique in who they are. So, you know, you have to learn to move on. So, but again, for you to offer that insight, you know, especially from a medical perspective, you know, I think sometimes, you know, when you're in the hospital with your loved ones and you see the nurse and the doctors, you don't realize that, you know, they're they deal with this every day. But it's not routine. They some of them will look at each patient and there's a connection. There there's I mean, it matters to them. So. That's what was beautiful about your blog was you were you were showing that, you know, I do see the person. I do see all the persons involved, you know, like so. So that's kind of an example of a blog, you know, that, that you bring in that insight and you did connect it a lot to scripture and especially with the Christian teaching on, on the resurrection. You know, there is hope and there, there. And of course, there's that joy of of knowing that, you know, one day you will see them again. So. Some of that's kind of personal and a little bit of reflective. And then it's some, like recently I did a blog on purgatory, which was, <laughs> that was an adventure for us because um, it was almost like a political post in the sense where someone saw a word and just, boom, it just came out, came at us. And, and, yeah. and I don't know how many times we were kind of like, did you read the blog? It's not biblical. Well, did you read the blog? It's made up by the church. Did you read the blog? And of course, crickets but you know it comes to the territory it to me it's it's kind of like 
it takes me back to those days when, you know, when I was younger and, you know, I was in, you know, bands performing our own music and trying to make it quote unquote, there's going to be people that like you and there's going to be people that hate you. And there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, if you're going to put something out in public, in the public square, you can't control what people are going to, how they're going to respond. And the nice thing though, is when people would try to engage you in a conversation. And, you know, I guess my only hope would be that, um, well, first of all, that I did a good job presenting a teaching on purgatory, but then also just that, you know, maybe some of the hostile individuals will at one point when they feel ready, you know, I think I'm going to read it and at least understand where Catholics come from. You know, we don't just invent things because we're bored one day and we just, the Pope says, I had this great idea. I'm going to invent this new teaching. And since I'm the Pope, I can make it a, a rule. No, it doesn't work that way. You know, no. we want people to see where it comes from. Because there's a lot of Catholics that don't understand purgatory. Like, it was funny because I'm teaching a sacraments class this semester. So I think I taught on purgatory the week after we posted the blog. And it was funny because oh. I, I said in, in one of my classes, I said, well, you do realize that anyone that is in purgatory, whether it's, you know, a place or a state of existence, I said, you are going to heaven. It's just God is refining your being to the point where you can therefore be holy and be in his presence. And some of the kids were like, really? And I'm like, well, what do you think purgatory is? Like halfway to hell? Or I mean, like, like half hell? I mean, what, what, what do you think it is? Oh, I don't know. I just thought we were still in trouble. Well, no, you're not in trouble. You just, we just need to fix whatever's not perfect. You know, I, I mean, if you look at it, it's God being even more merciful than we realize. Well, and I think, um, you know, you hear a word and it just, for whatever reason, it just has a different connotation to it. And I think especially if they're not taught about that part of it, um, especially people of other, um, uh, you know, other Christian denominations, they don't have purgatory in their teaching. And so they just kind of hear it and they just, they just go with the negative without really fully understanding the true context of what it is. Mm -hmm. And so it does become that kind of an issue. And it's funny because of, you know, and one thing I do want to touch on is that whenever we have something and you knew you, I mean, I swear the two days before we posted it, you're like, you were asking me, did I present this? Right. And I said, I thought it was a great, I thought you presented it great, um, but you knew what we would get and you, you, you had predicted it would happen. Mm -hmm. um, so we understand that there are certain topics that are maybe a little bit more on the quote unquote controversial side, mainly because of different faith understandings. But the one thing that we do want to emphasize is the amount of respect we have, no matter what your faith practices, no matter if you're Christian or not. If you want to engage us in a conversation that's more academic, we welcome that. But even from our own, you know, other other Catholics trying to defend what we do, one thing we do not really tolerate is the name calling mm -hmm. or the insulting because we still have to respect each other. And no matter what your beliefs are, everyone's worthy of respect and dignity. And so, you know, we did have to block a few people 
<laughs> because because just merely because of the way their conversation was where it was very hostile and threatening and that's not what we want and we kept quite a few, I mean if you look at that post on Facebook we kept most of the most of the questions on there mm-hmm. um you know as long as it was respectful but there were a few people who were like okay you need to just stop <laughs> Well, they were Catholics who were, you know, this is why you guys are wrong. And you guys are, you know, I mean, I was like, well, this is kind of defeating the purpose. But see, my thing is, and and I told you, yeah, it was going to happen. But my only objective with Christians from a different background, I don't have a problem with that, is all I was trying to show is don't say it's non-biblical. Don't say Mm -hmm. it's just something that they invented out of the air. I showed biblically where it comes from. I showed historically you know, what the early church fathers taught, okay? Or even how Bibles have been looked at or whatever. So all I would say to people, and all I do say to people is, look, I respect your interpretation. You know, I respect that you may have a different theological persuasion, but, you know, don't look me in the eye and say it's non-biblical or whatever. Um, You know, like sometimes when people were pulling the whole Sola Scriptura thing, I mean, I am familiar with that. But I'm like, well, that is your method of interpreting scripture, you know, and I respect that. But not everyone interprets scripture the way you do, you know, so you can throw the baby out with the bathwater if you want. But based on what my blog shows and, the, and my blog is not me inventing a theology for the teaching on purgatory. I was sharing the wisdom of saints and theologians centuries before me. I mean, I'm not that clever, but I'm showing you the root of where it comes from. So at least give me the respect or give us the respect of saying, or more importantly, give the Catholic Church the respect of saying, okay, I don't agree with it, but at least I could see where it comes from. Like, let me, let me give an example. So I have Mormon neighbors, and, and the big joke when my wife and I always talk about is no matter where we've lived, we always have Mormon neighbors. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, we actually have, it's really funny, we always have Mormon neighbors. And so they're very good people. You know, we, we've had dinner at their house and vice versa. Um, Sometimes we've had dinner at their house and the missionaries are there, you know, the guys in the white shirts and the ties. And, you know, so we'll have dinner and it's always a good meal. And then after dinner, I remember one time we had dinner and I remember one of the missionaries goes, you know, would you guys be interested in seeing the new, you know, Mormon video on Joseph Smith? And we're like, sure. So we watched it and Angel, to be honest, it was a really good video. I mean, as far as a film and what it has, it was really well done. It might have been, you know, 15, 20 minutes long. So here, we, here I am in their house. And, you know, here I'm a guest, you know, so I'm trying to behave accordingly. And at one point, one of the missionaries says to me, do you believe this? And I'm sitting there like, oh, good, good, good. You know, what do you say? Because, I mean, I don't want to hear saying no, because, you know, I'm in someone's house. I mean, I'm not going to lie either. And I go, well, you know, um, I'm not going to say what Joseph Smith experienced. If he feels he had a revelation from God, that's cool. You know, that's on him. That's, that's between him and God. I go, but the thing is, I've had my own private experiences. And, and when I say that, I wasn't, you know, trying to flatter anyone. I have had what I think are some very personal revelatory experiences to the point where um, there's very few people in my life that I've shared that with. Um, my, my mother would be one of those people. And I think a lot of them, I just share with my mom, 
But, um, you know, and I, and I believe in my heart that that was a very providential moment in my life. So in the same way that I'm not going to tell Joseph Smith what he experienced, I'm not going to have someone tell me what I experienced. You know, there's Catholics out there that say, oh, no, 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 no. The days of the prophets, and that's gone. I mean, that, that, all that stuff is no longer. You know, somehow saints centuries after the apostles are having these experiences, and we're okay with that. And then I guess somehow we don't. You know, some say yes, some say no. But, you know, I know how it made me feel. I know how it changed my view, say, of Jesus. And it was all positive. So I don't have a problem thinking that this was real. And when I talked to my mom about some of them, she's like, yeah, it sounds real to me. I mean, there were times we would share things with each other, and we both got really emotional about it. So I don't think it was just this psychological experience. I think it was bigger than that. But, you know, you know, so, you know, some might say I was being diplomatic, but I, hey, I'm, I'm a guest in someone's home. I'm not going to disrespect them. But I, at the same time, I don't think I was trying to flatter anyone. And I think I was at least giving them the room to believe what they wanted, but asking for the same thing in return. Well, so um, as far as respect goes, the other thing that I don't really like is when, and I've, I mean, I've heard of priests who do the same thing, is that we kind of, you know, Catholic, Protestant, whatever you are, don't put each other's own faith practices down just because, um, you know, it was it was really interesting because I'd actually gone to another Christian church once and well, not once I went several times, but um, they were doing communion and no, I did not participate, but um, they, the pastor started and he knew I was in the audience and he knew I was Catholic. So I was very upset after um, where he, they started doing their communion and then he just makes a snide remark of, oh, it's not like the Catholics who just do it as a ritual. And then proceeds to state the exact same scripture passages as we do whenever we have consecration. And I'm sitting there like, okay, you're saying this, you're doing almost exactly word for word what we do and saying it's not ritualistic when really this is by definition a ritual that you are doing this is so and so and i think but the thing is is that um so in a lot of ways in a in a weird way going to another church made me a stronger catholic because it made me feel stronger in my beliefs um but the other thing that i realized is that even in teaching confirmation, we also not only do other, do I feel like other people, we should respect each other's faith practices in different denominations. We should also learn about our own faith practices and why we do certain things. And just like you said earlier, you know, you were go, doing things with your faith without really understanding it. Uh, very recently, I had my confirmation students um, translate the our father into their own language into their own words and i had quite a few of them who'd gone to uh, catholic school for eight years at the very least three so they had you know experienced all the prayers they knew all of them by heart and then i had i separated that those kids into different groups so that they can help their 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 co-candidates they had a hard time and I said, and so I asked them at the end, I was like, what does that mean? 
that you knew the prayers, you knew the words, but did you really understand what you were saying? And I think, um, you know, during, as, you know, during mass, do you understand what's going on during the consecration? Do you understand the words that are being said by the priest? Do you understand the words that we are saying whenever, you know, we're, we're praying the Our Father, whenever we're, you know, you know saying all of the different, um, reciting, reciting or singing all of the different mass parts? And so it was, um, but we, I think we're also looking to explore some of that as well. And, and doing that, um, you know, we'll, we'll certainly want to share the teaching with everyone that we can talk to, whether it's through a podcast, uh, you know, a blog or a personal in, you know, in-house presentation, or, you know, we're talking about doing like, you know, social media live feeds, just, just talking for a few minutes and say hello to everybody. But we strongly encourage people to seek it out on their own. I mean, besides the fact that, you know, there's books out there you can read, there are so many evangelists out there who have, you know, YouTube channels and, you know, there's so many things out there that you can explore. And, you know, to me, it's almost like finding the right therapist. You find the right person that you connect to. Like, mm -hmm. I, I've been a Catholic my whole life, and it wasn't until I heard Christopher West teach on what it means to love your enemy. That's when it clicked. And so it doesn't mean that I don't struggle with it, but the way he delivered it really made sense to me. So, you know, find that person out there that really touches you. And the other thing, too, that I strongly recommend people to do is to own, own it by doing the homework. I mean, why is it like, you know, I, I'm a guy. I like, I like sports. And, you know, I, I like to have those, you know, conversations of who's the best player of all time. And, you know, we'll look up stats. You know, so I've looked up stats a million times for different sports. Why is it we'll look up stats for that or we'll look up, you know, all these you know, you get on social media and people are, you know, they'll expose a, pol a politician's hypocrisy by, you know, digging, but you won't dig for your faith. So like, I remember, I think it was last school year, someone had asked me, could you kind of do a teaching on the Hail Mary? I said, sure. You know, so instead of just thinking about what I knew about it, I went ahead and said, okay, I'm going to dig a little bit. And and it was funny because when I did that, I mean, it was great and it, it did sort of have an impact on my students, but it also had an impact on me. Like, for example, mm -hmm. um, the first half of the Hail Mary, you know, the, the words of Gabriel, you know, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. You know, I was looking at that and I was just thinking to myself about, you know, the, the Annunciation. It's, it's, it's probably my favorite part of the Joyful Mysteries of the Rosary because I've, I'm constantly reflecting on what did that look like? You know, my favorite artistic depiction of that is the one where Mary just sees a light because we don't really know. Did she see Gabriel? Did she hear it? Him? Did she just know? I mean, we don't know. And that's the beautiful part is that was her experience with the angel. But all of a sudden, as I started thinking about that, I was like, wait a second. This is a messenger from God. This is a moment that, you know, God has waited, you know, in the context of time in our world, because obviously God's outside of time. So I'm kind of throwing humanity on God. So forgive me for that. But, but it's like, you know, this is a moment that was going to lead to the incarnation. So it's like, this is a big deal. So all I remember was telling the kids, when you say that part of the prayer, you are reciting words from heaven. And then the part with Elizabeth, you know, blessed art thou among women, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see that pro-life meme on the, on social media now about how the first person to recognize Jesus was an unborn child. 
John was the one who was going to prepare the world for Jesus. John, at that point, through his mother, was proclaiming who he was. So you're now reciting the words of the prophet, John the Baptist, my favorite prophet. (laughs) He's just, I mean, in fact, when I get nervous and I think about, okay, I'm going to get heat on this one, (laughs) whatever lesson it is, I think a lot about him because he spoke with great boldness. And then, of course, the second half of the prayer, you know, Holy Mary, Mother of God, dot, dot, dot. You know, I've heard various things about where that comes from. I mean, I've, I've, I've read things that say, you know, that was recited by Christians because of the Black Plague. And, you know, a lot of them knew they were close to death. And I've also yeah. seen a priest once give a talk saying that was something that, you know, crusaders were going to say before going to battle because they were, some of them knew they were going to die. Either way, in my mind, I was thinking, I am in communion with Christians from previous centuries, you know, reciting a prayer that they also said. And that's something I take very personally because when I was at many of the courses at the Theology of the Body Institute, one of the most beautiful experiences I would ever have was getting up in the morning and saying the rosary with people because I met people from, oh gosh, it was Canada, Mexico, Australia, India, Europe. I mean, all over the world. And we're sitting there saying the rosary. I mean, granted, it was in English, so these people knew English because they were going to come to the course and because you know, the courses were given in English. But I'm sitting there looking over at someone, realizing this person's from Australia, this person's from India, and this is the prayer they say at home. I can go visit them tomorrow and pray the rosary with them, and it's the same thing. So as a Catholic, I was very proud of that because I'm realizing it's not just this global thing. This is something that's been passed on to all of us for centuries from all of our Catholic ancestors. Well, so touching on the whole, you know, this is a global, like, you know, just how united we are as Catholics. One of the other things that I really enjoy about being Catholic is you could go to church, any Catholic church anywhere, and you'll probably hear most likely the same scripture as everybody else. And, you know, so you can it's you can go home anywhere you are mm-hmm. i think and um that's one of the most beautiful and united things that i think um there is about being catholic and so you were talking about um the second half of the hail mary i think the one thing that we can take from it no matter if it was no matter who supposedly used it as its origin the whole thing is is that we had hope mm-hmm. um in and through and through her intercession and through her prayers we have hope and so i think that was it's a beautiful part of the prayer mm-hmm. um and i the whole prayer i think is very beautiful actually and so i did end up touching on that same thing uh, two weeks ago in class because it was the month of the Holy Rosary. And so I actually did go into the history of the Rosary a little bit and the prayers. Um, So, you know, it's, but really just understanding your faith and knowing about your faith, Mm -hmm. I think is very important. Absolutely. And that's what we're here for. We're here to, um, to share, you know, our insights. One of the things I look forward to every time we do a presentation is you know, someone in the audience who can teach us something. I mean, we're, to me, I I always look at it as, um, you know, like kind of touching on my music background. Like sometimes there'd be bands that say, you know, to us, we're just 
it's just a concert's a party. We're just hosting the party, but everyone's welcome and we're here to, to celebrate. To me, we might be facilitating the discussion, if you will. I mean, certainly there's things that we present and there's, we have objectives and we have a purpose for what we're saying. But, you know, at those moments when we can have questions from the audience or, for example, when people will, you know, respond to our posts or, you know, maybe, you know, respond to our podcasts or, you know, email us questions. I mean, we're happy to have those dialogues. Because, you know, even I, we both have learned in teaching is you learn just as much from your students as they learn from you, you know, and Very it's not true. just how to teach it. I mean, I've, I've made lots of mistakes in the classroom and refined lots of things, you know, for years. In fact, it's kind of like my earthly purgatory. But, uh, but what's interesting is that there's always something that a kid says. And I'm like, man, I never thought about that. And I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, people get ambitious saying, well, yeah, I want to be a college professor and I want to teach at Harvard, which is wonderful. And, and anyone can, God bless them, do it. But I have, I, to this day, I am still amazed at the mind of a young person. There's just, there are insights and there are things that they will share that just absolutely has been, in some cases, the best teacher I've ever had in my life. So, you know, teaching has been a joy. It's been a struggle at times too, but but I can't walk away from it because it just, it, it's something that it's part of who I am, but it's something that I also know that I have to do. And so I know part of what we're doing is, is, is expanded that journey of mine as a teacher. But, you know, I'm here at the, I'm here on this podcast and this public forum saying that I look forward to learning just as much from our audience and, you know, other future people who will be present at our talks because you know, we're all students, but we're all teachers and we're all called to share our faith and to have a better understanding of our faith. So if we can also challenge each other to at least think about different perspectives, great, let's do it. Definitely. And there, the other thing, too, is we're always open to new ideas. Um, one thing that we hadn't thought about, but somebody else had the idea um, is that in March, we're actually going to be doing a day retreat with the Daughters of St. Paul in Culver City. And Sister wanted us to touch on the incarnation and what it means for the human body. And it once Sister came up with that topic, we it lit a fire in us. Mm -hmm. And so we've been completely determined to um, really hone in on what it really means and, and to study it. And so we're really open to um great ideas to help us think and you know you and be challenged and i think um because it just kind of makes us stronger i think as people as uh people of faith and you know in in our ministry so okay so i guess now is probably a good time to wrap this up so um First of all, anyone who's listening, we, we thank you for giving us a little bit of your time. We certainly appreciate that because obviously giving someone your time is a gift. We hope that we kind of gave you a little, you know, nice introduction of, of what we're about, a little, you know, background of what we've done thus far. Um, and of course, we look forward to the future. And I'll also wanted to um, thank you, Angel, because, you know, when this whole thing came up, and we talked about it. I mean, a lot of people will talk about certain things. And it was really exciting for me because um, the idea and the potential of what I saw was, was great. But then when I saw that we were both really enthusiastic about getting to work on this, 
you know, I really appreciated all your efforts because, you know, again, from my previous experiences, especially in, in music, you know, everyone has a great idea until it's time to get to work. So there's been a lot of disappointments in that case, especially when I saw people that had a lot of potential and I was really hopeful of what we could do. So in this case, you know, I do enjoy our presentations. I do enjoy it when we have a finished product, like a blogger or podcast, whatever, and we put it out there. But I've really enjoyed our collaborations and just that journey of us, you know, working together on our talks or our blogs or whatever it, ha it is, because we're both really committed to what we're doing. And it's just really nice to have a partner like you to, to work with. So thank you. Well, I can say right back at you on that one. I think both of, both of us are, you know, and anytime you hear you have a group project, you're like, oh, <laughs> I know. I don't. And so it was, but having, to, having someone who not only has your same views, but is willing to put as much as you are into it is a great experience. Um, one thing I will say is we have, so our next couple of podcasts, we're actually bringing in our spouses into the conversation. And um, one of the topics that we we have is not only our own faith journeys, but our faith journeys with our spouses. Um, I, my husband was baptized Catholic. His mom was Catholic, but he was not very practicing. In fact, we were talking, we actually mentioned the name Gabriel one time. I don't remember what the conversation was. And I said, do you know who Gabriel is? And he's like, isn't that one of Jesus's disciples or apostles? I said, no, that's the angel that told Mary she was going to have Jesus. And he's like, angels are in the Bible. I said, oh, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I re, and this was after we'd been together and married for several, this happened in the last couple of years. And I've been married to him for nine and a half years now. So it's, uh, it's been a journey definitely. Um, and it's, there were, moments that you know it would probably kind of not pull me out of my faith but you know I would kind of be a little bit more lax on it but I knew on my own that I needed to have my own faith journey but having that not conflict but having that struggle of having your spouse even though you were born into the same faith not necessarily practicing it at the same level and then Carlos's wife was actually, um, she converted on her own to Catholicism many years after you guys got married. Correct. So what, how long were you guys married? We already were married by the time? for 13 years when she became Catholic. So um, we definitely were living that mixed marriage thing. And um, so we're going to share a little bit of that journey as well. And so that's kind of mm -hmm. cool. And I wanted to go ahead and throw this out there as well, that um, with us emphasizing the dignity of the human person, we know one of the you know, pro-life issues also deals with the quality of life of people with, you know, people sometimes call them mental disabilities, mental challenges. You know, I, I just like to look at it as people process differently. But you and I both have autistic children. So mm -hmm. our spouses are also going to join us talking a little bit about our experiences with those kids, our personal mm -hmm. journey, personal with journeys with that. And, and on these, on both of these podcasts, those mm -hmm. moments with our spouses are going to be a preview of future um, collaborations we have with other people where we will have some um, discussions with people in certain fields where they'll offer their insights while we will, you know, begin and end the podcast, you know, sharing a little bit of what the church teaches on each issue 
and offering a few of our reflections on the issue and then of course wrapping up the conversation with some things that we can pull together from both the church's teachings as well as the testimonies of those that will be guests on our podcast. And then um, also, not not only, so I've been in nursing for 10 years. I actually am a clinical instructor for nursing students, um, first year nursing students. So they're little, they're brand new nurses. <laughs> um, they're very cute, very eager to learn, but very shy as well. So I have to kind of push them. But um, as all of us in some ways are um, educators. And so we're actually going to have a future podcast on um, education, uh, Catholic education, as well as just education in general and having that. Um, another topic that is near and dear to my heart is actually maternal mental health. So we're trying to gather more. Um, I, I've spoken to a psychologist who is a reproductive psychologist. So we're hoping to get her onto the podcast. So a lot of things in the future as far as the podcast goes. Um, and then just look back on our blogs. Uh, uh, you can get all of this information on our website, hcdtalks.com. Uh, if you have any questions, you can always email us at hcdtalks at gmail.com. And please also email us some possible podcasts or blog topics because it might be something like, hey, I'd love to look into that. And then we can kind of, you know, perhaps have a discussion that might be near and dear to any of your hearts. So please feel free to contact us with anything that you have in mind as far as ideas, concerns, or questions, and we will do our best to address each one of those. All right. So with that, thank you for listening. Yeah. So with that, thank you, everyone. And we God bless you all. And we look forward to sharing another podcast with you sometime in the future. Thank you. Thank you.